Hello and welcome to Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. You can find this weekly property show live every Sunday on propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters TV in either YouTube or Facebook. And if you're watching on our website, we'd love it if you'd hit the Google review button on the homepage to leave us a lovely review. Whenever or wherever you're enjoying the show, please get involved by adding your comment in the comment section below. And if you'd like to email the address, is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast and it's available every Monday at 10am on your favourite platform where you get your podcasts from. Let's take a look at the week's property news with our property specialist, Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Yes, hello. Good morning. Good morning to everybody uh, watching and listening wherever you are. Um, And uh, yeah, please do hit that button whenever possible. As Paul says, we don't mind you hitting that button as regular as clockwork. Absolutely. So let's get into the stories this week. And we're doing the battle of landlords and tenants. It's never been a very pleasant place in recent years for a number of reasons. But uh, we just thought we'd give both sides of the story this week, really, because it's interesting how there's so much conflict out there between two views, the landlord's view of the world and the tenant's view of the world, and those that get involved in it, such as the government and various other other people. Uh, Total fines for letting agents and landlords have increased to an average of £90,000 per month in 2022 taking the total to £8,157,745 so far this year, reflecting a growth trend of yet more regulation targeting the PRS. Enforcement is also on the rise as councils are stepping up their enforcement efforts, particularly in London, where just over 12% of all fines in London were handed out in the last 12 months, an increase of more than £1 million since last December. This data is provided by CAMA. It shows that August topped the charts as the most active month for fine activity. Fines totaling 238,000 were handed out in the month alone. It's no wonder, Joe, that landlords are thinking about uh, uh, moving out of the property rented sector yeah, it's all this red tape, Paul, to be honest with you, uh, almost penalising for being a landlord to a large extent. Um, you know, these small uh, fines, taxes and so forth that they that bring in creates a huge problem. And it also creates a, a doubt in landlords' mind whether they want to continue to stay within the industry. The only thing that I think that keeps them in the industry is is probably the capital gain in their probably asset investment in the long term. Other than that, I think it's quite a a daunting task nowadays with all the regulations that are there. And also the fear of, as you can see, the colossal amount of fines. I mean, uh, £90,000 a month in in fines is is a lot lot of fines that are just being dished out left, left, right and centre. It's not just total fines that are going up. Average fines for letting agents have also increased to £4,695, a rise of over £200 since 2021. 78% of all agent and landlord fines are related to management and licences of houses of H and houses of H and HMOs. Try and get my teeth in this morning. Um, 78% of agent and landlord fines are related to management and licensing of houses and HMOs, which can be linked to the increase in both schemes and enforcement across London. 
Camden Council has continued to top the council enforcement list in terms of numbers of cases brought forward, followed closely by Newham and Waltham Forest, yet the London Borough of Hammersmith and Fulham is now the London Borough with the highest average fines of 19,800, followed by Hillingdon with an average of 13,500 and Hackney with 11,250. So it's a, it's a, a pretty... Um, people are really having a go, aren't they, at, uh, at landlords and, uh, and, and letting agents? It's part, part, part of it is regulations, Paul. Part of it is that, you know, it's not financially particularly viable, though they take the risk of having a, a fine or, or being paid, paid a penalty of some sort um, because the um, red tape that is involved in trying to get a property to a certain level. And, of course, with recent news, as you probably know, with this fellow, uh, this, this young kid dying in, in the north of England because of uh, um, the, the damp and so forth, and that uh, only, you know, it, it sort of expedites the, the costing and, and the work that needs to be done to the properties. Now, I have to, in defence of the landlords, say that, you know, the tenants are as much, if not actually, a lot at fault. Uh, and things like that, um, and we'll cover that in a, in a minute. But the the reality is that every landlord will try and give somebody a good property with the best will in the world, all the bits in the right places. But to a large extent, the tenants equally, who should be responsible in maintaining that and living in it and enjoying it, actually <clears throat> don't maintain them and, and look after those properties and then just pass the buck onto the landlord and and, of course, go back to the council and say that their landlord isn't actually doing it, when actually most of the cases, it's probably themselves that are not doing it. So in the meantime, the landlord is the one that is gonna get beaten up, uh, closely followed by their agent, who to a large extent, you know, can only carry out so much and do certain things. But of course, if the landlord doesn't permit them to, do, to spend the money or wish to spend the money to maintain it and bring it to the standard, then they get tired with the same brush. They're thinking, oh, well, the agent's not doing it. Obviously, the reason where the agents do get involved are where they actually do what they call personal guarantees or guaranteed uh, rental income. So sometimes a, an agent would take a guaranteed um, property from a landlord, so they might sort of slightly um, uh, reduce the rent, but say to the, the landlord, look, whatever happens, I'll take your property for, let's say, using a thousand pounds as an example, uh, but I'll take it for 800 pounds without any worries uh, each month and we will then rent it out for whatever we can get out of it. So theoretically, the agent then becomes the landlord. Um, and, um, and so that's where the, they, they could get involved in fines and, and, and obviously not meeting with um, regular, uh, regular regulations, etc. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that they've uh, they've they've handed out eight point one million pounds worth of fines in London alone, suggesting that London really is at the forefront of this. And it seems that most of these fines are to do with property licensing enforcement and um, new licensing schemes developing. So perhaps the landlord uh, and the um, uh, letting agents are not quite up to speed on what exactly is being done in their area and what they have to comply with, perhaps. Yes, it, it's it's not a case of avoiding it. It is it, uh, the reality is, I suppose, it is avoiding it. It's, it's not they don't want to avoid it. They don't want to try and do it. But there's so much regulation now, so much red tape that it actually almost becomes untenable to try and make sure that you could spend you could spend a day a week on on, on licensing and regulations and and applying for this and applying for that and only find that you're not actually 
getting anywhere with it. And then also you're missing out on income. This is what the local authorities actually just don't take on board. That as much as they create all this red tape that they need to be doing, you know, what, why are landlords in the business of this property letting business is because they want to make money. And when they are, you know, deterred from making money by all these regulations, they will cut corners of, you know, it's, you know, if they're not doing it fast enough or they don't meet their criteria, you know, and you've got a tenant waiting to go in. And at the moment, uh, the way the market is, the shortage of, of properties, it doesn't matter whether they're brilliant properties or, or any properties, is huge. I mean, you know, the demand is is well outstripping the supply. And the reason why the, the, the supply is not being provided is because all these regulations deter potential landlords of coming in because they think, oh, well, I don't want to have that hassle. But, you know, what happens is it's a horse and the cart situation. If you don't have the properties, you can't let them out. If you do have the properties, you can't rent them out because regulation. And that's when people start to go. And then they want to go to the council. Of course, the council say, well, we haven't got the properties to rent out. And so so the, you know, the whole wheel starts to to go into into form. And we, we find that people are homeless in, in hotels, all sorts of things start to happen um, because it is actually the system that's not, you know, fit for purpose. Yeah, the criticism that's been levelled at these new licensing schemes is that actually most of the fines are actually uh, put in place for not complying with the scheme rather than what the licensing schemes were for in the first place, which is to stop, you know, damp properties and in, in uh, substandard properties from being rented out. And doesn't seem to be very many fines being uh, being handed out to uh, landlords who've got uh, substandard properties. It's more to do with complying with their licensing rules. Yes, exactly. And that's that's the problem with it. It's just that they're using it for the wrong, the, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tool for the wrong things. If they actually dealt it, dealt with the real issues that are actually needed to be dealt with, then the chances are the things might get better. But because they keep using it for the wrong, the wrong thing, um, people are, are just left behind, um, and and they get sort of exhausted and upset trying to get these things done. Um, and then it's the next stage. You get one part of it done, Paul, and then they say, okay, well now that you've done this. Uh, by the way, we're sending an inspector around who's then going to tick off a whole list of things that you've got to do. And until those are done, we can't give you the license. Um, and that's the delay factor, you know, that happens. I mean, I've got clients and I've spoken to people where those situations are there, but they're almost reluctant. In fact, that's part of the reason the landlord wants to give notice to the tenant, because the tenant is the one that is going back complaining about it. And when they do complain about it, they also are the ones that are going to suffer because they're going to get noticed to say, off you go, go find yourself something else because you're now causing me issues about A, licensing and B, maybe the condition. Um, and I've tried to repair the conditions, but you're not in to deal with it. And if we do repair the conditions that, you th that you're complaining about, you don't assist it by maintaining it because you, you, you just, you know, make it uh, come, come back to that. So time and time and time again, it goes back in circles and that is quite uh, annoying and upsetting and and um, and so that creates a huge problem Paul. and if that wasn't enough to put prospective landlords off uh, this was uh, reported this week Zupla says it's been forced to carry out more stringent security checks which includes a vetting form for new estate agents after an unscrupulous tenant tried to sell his landlord's house via a property portal for more than 400,000 pounds just a fortnight after getting the keys 
Tennant was jailed last month for two years and six months for uh, the almost unbelievable crime for which he even rented furniture from a show home company. He claimed he was moving to the area for work when he began renting a three-bedroom house in Cambridge uh, in 2020, in February of that year. But within two weeks, he'd listed it for sale online and had created a fake estate agent uh, portal, presumably, on Zoopla. So, you know, let, landlords, getting, if they don't get it from the council, they're getting it from unscrupulous tenants on occasions. Yes, and again, you know, that, that, that story there about... Um, uh, you know, a fake estate agent doesn't help the business in general. There's always someone out there that is going to do something not so right in order to make it upset, make make uh, make it a, a problem for existing agents who are already having a tough time trying to make sure that they meet with regulations and so forth. And things like that only um, add more salt to the wound of, of the agency business as, as, it, as it is, because people don't like the agency business, but unfortunately it's the it's the lesser of the two evils, isn't it? You've got to have the agent in order to get the properties on to deal with it. Whilst they may not like them, they are there to stay. They've been there forever and they're going to be there forever and a day. But the problem is that you get these new sort of kids on the block who come along and think, okay, well, actually I can be smart. I can create an online agency. I can put my instruction on Zoopla, all of those things. And I, I you know, Zoopla are now obviously going to, a question and go through a, a much more rigorous vetting process before they allow someone to actually put their property on their portals. But it just goes to show how easy it is. And, and by being it being so easy and making it so easy, people are turning around and, and utilising it and, and people will suffer out of that. I'm assuming he must have had some costs to be able to do that. He set up Smith and Jones estate agents based in Bedfordshire and covering the surrounding areas, according to Mr. Holland, who was the man that uh, tried to buy the property. It was interesting, actually, that, um, and there's a, there's a learn for people here. I mean, I'm surprised, firstly, that he thought that he would be able to get away with it, given the, the, the rigorous process that we go through in the conveyancing process. Surely something would have come out at that point. Um, but maybe that he hadn't thought that far. But um, what's actually interesting is two things. Firstly, the guy that was uh, buy it, trying to buy it had already invested £3,000 in various fees to get the process underway before uh, the ruse was discovered. But it actually came out that because there was a problem with the drainage, they brought a drain survey engineer with them when they were doing one of the visits. And they realised that the drains were going to affect the neighbour's house. So they went to talk to the neighbour and ask about the property. And that's when it came out that actually, you know, well, we know that the, the, the owner of the house isn't this chap and he's actually renting it. So it actually came out from discussion with the neighbours. And you've always said when you're looking to buy a property, do your homework, go and speak to the neighbours, look around the area, do, do, do your due diligence. Absolutely. You can't look this property, whether it's rental or set or, or, or for sale is the biggest form of investment we always make. I mean, even as a rental, if you're there going to be for a six months or a year, you know, it's going to be your home for that period. So you've got to know your, your neighborhood. You've got to know everything about the property. But certainly when it comes to selling it as, as an investment, there's no question in my mind that when you're buying, you should do as much research as possible. And here is a, a prime example of that good research that has actually uncovered a situation of a unscrupulous person who thought, well, okay, I'll rent it and then try and flog it um, for, for, for that. I mean, there's been lots of lots of um, uh, data, a lot of information on uh, sort of classic, what they call mortgage fraud, when people have actually turned around and, you know, took out, taken out a mortgage on a property that um, 
point wasn't in their name in the first place and somebody wasn't there. And um, uh, so there's all sorts of things that happen and you can't be too careful with, with the scenario. But it's what does, uh, what does amaze me is that um, someone like Zoopla as, as a portal um, took it on board that they've just taken somebody on who's just created themselves, um, set themselves up and then just said, okay, well, I'll stop sticking these properties on the market with Zoopla and that they didn't actually do a, a proper check on that person or that company that was set up. And it's fair to say that also when you're looking to engage with an agent to buy a property, look at the affiliations they have, things like property mark, that kind of thing, to see that they're a legitimate agent. I did. Uh, it did raise a wry smile when um, <laughs> when the, the chap actually phoned the, the Cambridgeshire Constabulary and uh, they said to him, stop trying to buy that house, it's not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite funny, but yeah. Uh, yeah so he did. Uh, he did obviously realise it, and um, and it all made sense. He said because we were trying to get hold of uh, uh, the, the the vendor for for requests for viewings and access to surveyors and so on. Of course, it just all it all imploded. But just a, a word to the wise. So I think out of that, do your due diligence, as we say, and make sure you go to an accredited estate agent for for that side of it. But um, on the uh, plus side, perhaps for landlords, Joe, uh, moving into another area. Um, here we are. The average rent for the UK has now reached 1,175 per calendar month, up 0.3% from last month. This is the latest rental index figures from the Homelet, from Homelet show. Um, when uh, London is excluded, the average rent for the UK is now 977 per calendar month, up 0.1% month on month. Average rents in London have exceeded £2,000 per calendar month for the first time. Wow. Rents in the capital are at an all-time high, with prices in the city rising to a new average of £2,011 per calendar month, an increase of 1.1 from last month. The Northwest also shows the largest monthly variant, rents up 1.2% last month to 929 per month. So despite the fact of all of the uh, the uh, litigation or all the, all the paperwork and all the regulation, um, it seems that uh, there's never been more demand for rented property. Yes, absolutely. As I said earlier on, that it's it's a bit of a horse and car situation, really. Um, and we're, you know, the demand for rental property is, you know, uh, outstripping the current um, uh, availability of the the supply of them because uh, two two or three reasons. One is, of course, you know, because of the regulation, some landlords have chosen maybe to call it time on, on, on some of their properties and decide that they want to just sell them and, and get, get get moving, get out of the system. On the other side of the coin, um, the renters are going up. So whilst they've got all these extra costs that are being handed, at the end of the day, those extra rent uh, increases are being handed to the tenant. So, um, you know, if you if you really look at the, the, the moral of the story here, Paul, if you're a good tenant and you have a good relationship with your landlord, the chances are, that stability and, and regular income for that landlord is far more important than it is to have the change every so often and constantly. And the reason for that is that whenever the change happens all the time, then of course there are costs involved and time involved and movements involved. So, you know, uh, it does pay well to have a good relationship with your landlord. But yes, you know, the good news for landlords here in this particular uh, graph uh, is that uh, rents have gone up and, and it's shocking uh, that I think it's almost a third of somebody's salary now pretty much that is going out in rental just uh, just the rental cost and this uh, home let rental index actually takes the data which is the actual rental 
value agreed. So not actually what it was advertised for, but what the actual negotiated rent was. So these are actual rents. Um, and at the end of the year, the story is that the it's one of the most rapid growths in UK rent um, in living memory. In January 22, interestingly, so just under a year ago, uh, UK's uh, average rent was £1,064, and by November that had risen to £1,175. So that's a 10% increase in a year. Uh, and landlords are probably rightly concerned about the ability of tenants to pay their rent and potentially new leg legislation which has contributed to a shortage of available rented properties means that there's a lack of supply and this is why obviously prices are going through the roof. But it's a bit of a, it is a bit of a double-edged um, sword, isn't it, really, for um, for landlords? Because if rents are going up, that's good news. But if they can't afford it, that's not going to be good news. No, and that's the problem where you got where you got current um, sitting in tenants, as so to speak, who have been used to paying a certain amount and not in a position to pay it anymore. That's when the evictions start happening because obviously the landlord is. I mean, the other issue, Paul, here is that the mortgage rates have gone so high that so some in some cases the rent that they were getting is now no longer covering what is their mortgage commitment, especially on a buy-to-let program. Because on ordinary properties, when you have your own in individual home, that rate is a bit lower. But all buy-to-let rates have now gone you know, sky high. And if you're looking at a new rate on a buy-to-let property, the problem is that the amount you're actually charging to a tenant is actually not sufficient anymore by comparison to what your mortgage rate is. And so they, the landlord really wants those tenants either to increase their money, which they're probably not in a position to, or for them to leave. And even if they leave, they then get into a situation where they say, well, actually, I can't afford to leave. I'm now gonna obviously challenge your reasoning for leaving. And this is where Mr. Gove and his merry men want to bring in the levelling up and all these other issues of abolishing of the Section 21 notice so that people have to have a, a, a long discussion as to why they should or shouldn't leave a property. In the meantime, the person that is going to suffer, of course, is the landlord because he's going to have to pay the higher rate of borrowing but not actually get the return from the higher income for the rental. So they'd rather see these people move out and re-rented them out. I mean, I was at a property recently in a two-bedroom apartment, you know, what was at one time a thousand pounds is now between 1,200 to 1,500 pounds a month, uh, which is quite a lot. It's, it's almost a hundred pound a week gone up in rent. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. In a recent survey for Homelet and Data Loft, four out of 10 landlords named the cost of living crisis uh, and its effect on the ability of tenants to pay their rent as their biggest concern for the next 12 months. And their concerns appeared to be well-founded as a concurrent survey of 12,000 tenants revealed that just one in 10 think the cost of living crisis will not impact them on their ability to pay their rent. So basically, uh, nine out of 10 people are worried that they're not going to be able to afford their rent. So uh, and and well, as you say, it's all about negotiation, really, if you've got a good relationship with your landlord. I, I encourage that time and time again, that, you know, it's better to have a discussion with your landlord, have a pragmatic conversation, understand their position, your position, and come to some sort of compromise that sees both of you getting through that time. If you're going to stick your heels in the mud and say it's not me i'm not going to do it then expect the worst and the worst is always going to be that the landlord is going to want to have to uh, evict you and get you out of there as soon as possible 
and then you might find that you actually it's the old adage of jumping out of the frying pan into the fire you might actually lost a nice property um, with a good relationship because you're not prepared to make communication to go and find a worse property and at higher rent just because principle says you don't want to pay. So sometimes we have to put these principles aside and work out what are our, our, our uh, pragmatic solutions in order to get the best results for all parties. But, you know, um, that's not the nature of the of the human being. We always, you know, put up these fights and think, oh, it's my principle, I'm here, I don't want to pay this, I don't want to do that. But ultimately, you could lose out if you don't make And so I've always encouraged, you know, communication in, in order to make sure that you all work together and have a, have a good working relationship and, and a good you know, landlord-tenant relationship at the end of the day. Well, it's a fair point that we can make here that if the landlords are actually worried about affordability for tenants, then uh, they shouldn't be too worried, according to this uh, latest survey here. 17% of rental homes across Britain entering the market are snapped up within two weeks of listing, according to new research by Ocasa. The rental platform's analysis revealed the east of England is the fastest-moving regional market, with 24% of rental homes grabbed by tenants within a fortnight of becoming available. In London, 20% of rental homes are taken within two weeks, in the southwest, just behind at 19%. Scotland is also a fast moving market, as is the northeast. Uh, meanwhile, market speed in the likes of Yorkshire and Humber and Wales uh, register below the national average of 17%. So tenants are facing a very tough time at the moment. Not only is the rent going up, but it seems the competition to get those properties um, is increasing too. And as you can see, you know, 24% of them in the east of England grabbed in the first two weeks. Yeah, and that just sort of only endorses my point just made previously about you know communication. It just goes to show that if 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 a landlord knows that you know he can get more money in a shorter space of time as soon as he's got property vacant, of course he's going to push for a vacant property. But if you don't actually have a, a proper discussion with them, the chances are you're going to be homeless. And because these properties are being snapped up in a record time of two weeks of him being on the market. When you actually then move out or you get out, you're also going to be suffering and competing with this this kind of market, and other people will get it. And equally, the other problem that you have to have to to remember is your reference. If you have not had a good relationship with your landlord, the li the likelihood of him or her wanting to give you a good reference for your next property is obviously very slim. Um, and what do they say? No reference is as good as a bad reference. And if you do get a reference, then obviously it's a good reference. So if someone actually turns around and says, well, I'm not going to give you a reference on it, what that tells you, or the next landlord, is that you're not worthy of renting that property. And if that's the case, then you're not going to get the property that you want. So, you know, I, I will continue to say that you must, you know, communicate. And if you're not able to communicate, make sure that you've got an agent that can communicate and make sure that you both come out with the best possible result. It is interesting to see that we're getting sort of two types of renter by the sound of it. Those on low incomes who are finding it really, really tough. And obviously with properties moving at this speed doesn't bode well for renters on low incomes. But you've also then got renters who've maybe got deeper pockets 
but they're still not deep enough to actually get into the frantic sales market. So, they, you know, they may have uh, saved money for a deposit and they're close to thinking about that point where they go for a property. But obviously, with rates being the way they are at the moment, they're probably stuck in that situation. But they're seeming to get the cher- to be able to cherry pick because they've got the deeper pockets in the first place to, to, to get these best properties. Yeah, um, again, it's all about position. And nowadays, the other thing is, of course, um, everybody runs credit checks on people. And it's about the affordability pool. Uh, you know, before it used to be about, well, I can, I can do that. And, you know, as long as I can afford that, I'll do it. But now the, the systems have been devised where affordability comes into it. Because, of course, we've had a double whammy, haven't we, recently? It's not just the rates that have gone up, but all the utilities have gone up. So it's a case of making sure that it's not just the rent that you need to afford, it's also all the other costs that are related you can afford. And so therefore, you know, people are doing credit checks and things like that to make it tougher for anyone that wants to rent. So sometimes it's, um, you know, better to sort of stay with the devil you know than, than to start a new thing. Um, and that's where, or based on the new thing, rental is, is in high demand. Um, People are not able to put the deposits together at this precise moment in time uh, in order to want to buy what they want to buy. So they're looking at a rental market. The rental market is a strong market. We used to look at uh, home ownership as the driving aspiration, didn't we? And uh, it's fair to say that now we're getting dangerously close to a point where for many people simply renting a good home would be a tough task in itself, let alone trying to own something in your lifetime. I think the ownership thing will never go away. It's part of our inheritance um, and the way we are. But the, the current situation in the marketplace that has um, been left over the last few months is slightly challenging in the sense that, you know, lenders are cautious and borrowing is, is tough. And of course, affordability is taken into the equation in order to try and get the right kind of loans and property. And the other thing, of course, is that the rates have gone to a level where it's now become probably a little bit um, unaffordable in the current structure. So, yeah, I think rental is the way to go forward. It, the, the buying will come back to it and there are always going to be a buyer's market. Uh, so there are always going to be buyers in the marketplace looking for the right deal. There's no question about that. But as far as selling is concerned, it's currently a buyer's market, not a seller's market. And um, and, and sellers are, are now being cautious and they're thinking, well, actually, if I'm not going to sell it, then I may as well rent it because the rental market is very, very strong. Well, looking at uh, <laughs> this last story here, which uh, did, did make me laugh, actually, when we saw this landlord licensing scheme deemed a waste of time after serious delays. Um, Liverpool Council will take almost 150 years to process applications for its landlord's licensing scheme, according to new data. The council has hailed the importance of the scheme in addressing substandard housing across the city, but presenting figures to the Liverpool Landlord Forum, council representatives have said that since the selective licensing scheme went live on the 1st of April of this year, it's only granted 104 licenses 
This is despite an estimated 31,000 applications having been made. So at that current rate, it would take the local authority 148 years to process all applications received so far, says NRLA, which is the National Residential Landlords Association. It potentially raises serious questions about the extent to which the scheme is needed to address poor quality housing issues. And interestingly, out of the 103 civil penalties that they have actually uh, put out there, um, 89 of them were for offences relating to a previous selective licensing scheme. So hardly any penalties for failing to comply with property improvement notices, that kind of thing. So uh, not only <laughs> are they not actually doing it, what it's doing with it, what it was due, due to do, which was obviously to improve the properties and the standard of properties, but they can't even administer the scheme in the first place. Well, 150 years is, uh, you know, definitely not going to see me around for that period. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the licensing committee will go on and on and on and do it. But like I said earlier on, they're creating so much red tape, so much uh, problem for landlords. And the irony of this is, uh, Paul, that it's the council actually who need more properties to rent to tenants who are not able to find properties directly themselves and the councils don't build or have enough properties to rent out. So they need to go to landlords, investor people who will buy a property and then perhaps rent it to a council tenant, you know, but the council tenants are the ones that they don't want because the councils themselves create so much problem in order to the landlords that the landlords prefer to rent privately and not go through the council. So, you know, they all got to kind of really wake up and smell the coffee a little bit and say, we need to work together because we need properties to rent to people that are obviously listed on the council's list. But if they are going to continue to have these stupid schemes like this one, you know, where it's going to take 150 years for them to actually issue the licenses, well, never the twain shall meet. It's not going to happen, is it? Yes, the NR, uh, NRLA did say if Liverpool Council really believes licensing is so key to ensuring properties are safe, it begs the question why it's taken so long to process the applications. At a time when the condition of housing is under such scrutiny, the council is spending too much time administering the scheme and not enough time taking enforcement action to tackle poor quality housing. Rather than penalising good landlords with a blanket policy, the council should use the range of data already available to them to find and root out the minority of landlords who failed to provide safe housing. And that's an interesting point, is it? Because it is a one-size-fits-all policy, this li these licensing schemes. There's plenty of good landlords out there doing good, good work and happy to comply, but actually they really need to perhaps target to where, where, they, where the problems lie, which they already know. But isn't it like bad news sells better than good news? Um, and good, the good landlords that have been in it for a long time provide a good service and they've got longevity in their portfolio with tenants that have been renting for years and years. It's the new ones that come in and want to cut the corners sometimes and not want to do it, makes it tougher. And it's just like that earlier earlier piece. It takes one guy who decides to set up a, an agency and do a fraudulent act that tars every, every, every other agent with the same brush when actually everybody else is doing a pretty good job in trying to do that. And that is the case in all cases, unfortunately. Um, but, um, you know, it's not going to go away. Property are, are going to be still the, the you know, the, the subject of the day. We'll still be in business doing our property matters week in, week out um, on the basis that, you know, it is a subject that people is very close to their hearts and, and landlords are still investing Paul. They are looking to buy, even though they might not be looking at some of the older stock, they are looking at the new stock. 
and tenants are on the rise and, and, and people are, are looking for good quality, well-maintained, well-presented homes, which as it's shown, can be let out within a couple of weeks of them coming available on the market. It is interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, if you're a business person looking to make uh, some money and, you, and obviously property is a good investment, as we always say and we know, but the point is that if you're looking for a business model that's a simple one to make you some money, there's a number of other types of businesses that you could get into uh, that would make it a lot easier for you to, to make some money. And this was like that a few years ago, before all of the meddlesome behaviour coming in from, from governments and councils. And there's no doubt about it that, that, that there needs to be some regulation. You can't literally just rent properties out without any kind of, um, of, 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 of um, what's the word I'm looking for, any responsibility being taken. So you can see why landlords are saying, well, look, it's just too meddlesome. It's just too confusing. There's so many rules and regulations I might fall foul of. And I can just go and do something elsewhere, like build to rent, for example, which is just a lot simpler now. Yes, and that's why it's happening. And that's why the corporations are coming into build to rent. They can manage it. They have the infrastructure. It creates a good income and it just gives somebody that to do. And, and a lot of clients are now looking at portfolios of properties, i.e. maybe nine or 10 in a block where they're saying, okay, well, I'll just build those and I'm just going to rent the whole lot as, as a build to rent. Um, whether they sub that out to a council or they sub that out to somebody else and just sit there and collect the money, it's a lot easier than actually maintaining on one-to-one and then finding that you can spend a lot of man hours on something quite trivial that is actually then becomes annoying and, and cumbersome and then you just want to get out. Um, so I think the build rent is going to be the way forward. But you can't take away the fact that the small guy is not going to be a build to rent guy. The small guy is going to be um, a, a landlord that's going to have a couple of properties, two, three, four or five properties that can't get away from it. What else do they do? I mean, it doesn't, it's, it's there mainly to supplement some of their income and mainly to keep themselves busy and also mainly to, to get the best return on their investment that they can. So it's not going to go away. Yeah, and I guess if you've got money to invest and you're not needing mortgage products for this kind of work, then then the, there's a bit more leeway in, in, in running a, a portfolio of properties, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why it will continue to uh, be attractive to people that have um, the, the cash available to buy a property and continue to rent. And if rents are going up as they are, £100 a week in some cases uh, across the board, or £100 a month or more, then um, you know, long may it continue to, to bring income for those people. So as many regulations that are coming up, there are equally um, plenty of um, bonuses by the prices of rental going up as well. And I think we've achieved another record this week, Joe, with uh, Property Matters. We've talked about landlords and uh, tenants, and we've not mentioned leaky taps once. And on that bombshell, well, that's, 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 that's amazing. So on that note, let me tell you about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give the leaky taps out of it, but yeah, I, that's, that's a good record to have. <laughs> that's lovely. Thanks very much indeed for watching or listening to uh, Property Matters this week. We'll be back same time next week.